1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp and on the other line, Ben Goliver. What's up, man?
0: Not too much, Andrew. You know, you and I are taping this episode on a Wednesday. I believe it's going to post on a Thursday. And just before we sat down to tape this thing, some reports broke about Jimmy Butler and the Timberwolves, and the never-ending soap opera up there. And I'm hoping you can actually do two things for me, Andrew. First, please summarize the state of affairs as we know them, you know, based on these reports. But number two... And far more importantly, will you please reconsider your completely lax treatment of Jimmy Butler and decide to maybe hop up on here, the the high horse, the accountability high horse with me and finally crush this guy for what's now dragging into the regular season? Will you please do that? Because I remember two weeks ago, you were awfully... Awfully soft on this guy.
1: You know, I don't really know what you're referring to there. I think I'm my views are being mischaracterized, but sure. First, oh, yeah. I can definitely. Sounded do like the a first politician.
0: Part. <laughs> Here yeah. we go.
1: Part one to summarize the adventure that never ends with Jimmy Butler and the Minnesota Timberwolves. We had two reports this afternoon. The first was from Shams and The Athletic, who said. Jimmy Butler is taking the next step in a six-week-long process aimed at getting the All-Star out of Minnesota by sitting tonight against Utah, and this could lead to an extended absence for Butler, league sources tell me and John Krasinski, and John Krasinski has been all over this story from the start, so that's pretty credible. And yet, shortly thereafter, we got a report from Woj who said, sources... The Timberwolves suggested that Jimmy Butler rest versus Utah tonight, and there's an expectation that he will rejoin the team and be on their flight to the Bay Area to play Golden State on Friday. Teams talking to Minnesota about trades say the asking price remains steep. So there's Woj saying this was all Minnesota's idea. Shams is saying it's Jimmy. Jimmy uh there's a know.
0: third report out there from andrew sharp of sports illustrator he said two weeks ago that jimmy can just do whatever he wants because it's a weird situation up there boy you wouldn't really want to play with towns and wiggins either it doesn't matter if it impacts the team or the locker room uh, if oh he wants God. to be away during preseason it's completely fine and here we are in the middle of the regular season it's practically november and it's still going on and he's the source <laughs> of this will you please You're, no. You're hold this guy me. accountable
1: <laughs> Look, my official take on the on the Timberwolves situation, and I wrote this on SI.com, was that this reflects poorly on everyone involved, Jimmy included. By, as far as his absence was concerned, I said, look, this that just, like, is part and parcel with a trade demand. You're like, what do you want him to do? Just show up? I mean, I think that, like... That comes with the territory,
0: um, Andrew. Don't don't give me this both sides logic. There's one person who determines whether Jimmy Butler wants to play if he's healthy. We're really going to blame everybody for that.
1: Um, no. I look. I think he's trying to use his leverage. And if you're asking, do do I come out of this whole saga feeling good about the type of teammate Jimmy Butler is? Absolutely not. And it's not even sitting against the Utah Jazz, which, like, who really cares? I think it would be— I care. I <laughs>
0: care a lot. <laughs> if you're healthy and you're just trying to make them another mess after you know, parachuting in for a one-hour practice and a one-hour interview with Rachel Nichols, I have a problem with that.
1: Well, that's fair. I, I think if you're a Wolves fan, it is almost a blessing in disguise to have him sit out, though, because there's a chance that Jimmy could have played against the Jazz tonight. And they would have won that game. And then, like, the more success they have in the interim here with this roster in limbo where everybody sort of hates each other, but Jibby is still good enough to carry them on some nights. I mean, they beat the Lakers on Monday night. Like, they're not completely hopeless. And the more success they have in the meantime, the less likely Tom Thibodeau is to ever trade him. Um, And so in that respect... I can understand why some Wolves fans who who just want this to be over would say, Good, I'm glad Jimmy's sitting out. I think beyond that, if we're looking at, at a at a broader level here, some of the interviews Jimmy Butler has given after these Wolves games, like he just sounds completely delusional. He's taking a completely different tone than anyone else in that locker room. And I just he gives off a vibe of someone who is so self-absorbed and in his own world that like absolutely he would be miserable to be around on a daily basis, particularly as he's calling guys out and acting like he's Kobe Bryant. And so to me, Jimmy is certainly a handful, but this doesn't really change anything. And I don't even know if I care about this story anymore. I kind of just want it to be over.
0: It sounds a lot to me like you're describing player tanking, which you claimed didn't exist. But are you willing to admit that Jimmy Butler might be the actual, uh, the absolute a one uh, example of player tanking that we've ever seen?
1: Well, he's certainly tanking his goodwill among all kinds of different people who have stood up for him over the years. Um, it's hard. Do to- you
0: think he? Don't you think he's also tanked his trade value, though? I mean, I understand the report. Oh, Minnesota's asking price is still high. I mean, that's fine. That sounds a lot like Tom Thibodeau, and it sounds like they're negotiating the media and so forth. But, I mean, I, I saw this report, and you know, we talked about, oh, four first-round picks. I mean... Four first-round picks for a guy who may or may not play on a road trip and is leaking (laughs) stuff left and right about your organization?
1: I don't think so, Andrew. Well, yeah, and here's where that's not necessarily a strike against him, okay? And this is why I was defending him in the preseason. It's like, if he wants to get out of Minnesota, then absolutely, he should be trying to tank his trade value to coax other teams into getting more aggressive here because Jimmy – if you're getting him for 20 cents on the dollar, even if he's going to leave next year, and even if you're only getting a year of him and and the the chemistry is uncertain, at some point he becomes worth the risk for a bunch of different teams around the league if if the asking price sinks low enough. And so I don't blame him for doing what he can to kind of expedite this process. I'm just kind of sick of hearing about it. I mean, like Jimmy Butler is really good. He was incredible in the fourth quarter against the Lakers the other night. But he's just not quite good enough to keep us hanging on every twist and turn over the course of like eight weeks here. So I just want Tibbs to
0: trade him. There's no doubt. I mean, the season has moved on just fine without him. I am curious, though— at what point will you finally put your foot in the, in the sand and say, look, okay, I've completely had enough with him because I reached that point during the preseason. As you can tell, that's why I'm like <laughs> breathing down your neck about this. Cause I'm already like three weeks past my, uh, my expiration data in terms of patience for Jimmy Butler's antics. When do you like if this is still going on on Thanksgiving? Will you finally come over to the good side here?
1: No, because part of that is on Minnesota and, and Thibodeau and Glenn Taylor. You know, like they have some agency here too. And I so it's again, I think it's everyone's fault. It's everyone from Taylor to Tibbs to Jimmy Butler to Cat to Wiggins. Like we just need some resolution here so we can start to move forward. But it's not strictly a Jimmy Butler issue.
0: No doubt. And the worst part is, this is coming right after Butler and Towns finally had good games on the same night against the Lakers. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever positive momentum they tried to, like, you know, pull together uh, from a, a nice win over LA where Butler hits the gay winner at the end, now it goes poof with that was another my thought too. cycle of rumors. That's brutal, man. I feel for their fan base, don't you? Yeah.
1: But again, I think. At least acknowledging that the situation remains completely screwed up is healthier than trying to pretend that everything's cool and they can make this work for the next six months. Um, Well, let's move on to the rest of the league. That's enough Wolves. There's our our weekly Jimmy Butler update there. Uh, But our first question here comes from Barack, who says... Hey guys, whatever something unexpected happens to start the year, we always do the same dance. One side starts freaking out about how good or bad the start is, and then the other side comes through and dampens the enthusiasm with talks of small sample size. And yes, we have years of evidence, so surely the year won't end with the Thunder going 2 and 80 or DeAndre Jordan shooting over 85% from the free throw line. So, okay, fine. It's too early. I get it. My question is, when will it not be too early? When can we start believing some of the more outrageous developments from the first few weeks of this season? And are there any weird developments that you're already all in on? So, Ben, I'll throw it to you. What do you think here as far as sample size is concerned?
0: uh bucks number one uh in the league in in net rating and point differential best team in the league by a wide margin i think that will hold and that's what we're looking at going forward
1: 82 and oh i think that's a safe bet other than that
0: okay so here's a a good way to determine if it's if it's early or not too early go outside if people are wearing halloween costumes andrew it's too early all right let's give this (laughs) at least until thanksgiving that's actually the the marker that i use especially now that the season's kind of been uh you know, moved up a little bit. I mean, by Thanksgiving, you should have a pretty good idea of, you know, who the playoff teams are, who the for sure lottery teams are, who the bubble teams are like, you'll at least have mostly that separation having taken place. And you'll also have the guys who, you know, maybe they shot really, really well for the first seven games of the season. Like you also have a large enough sample there yeah. where their three pointer numbers come back to earth and okay, now we can see who is really a breakout guy that's going to stick uh, and who was just sort of a flash in the pan in that first week. I mean, a great example of this last year was the Orlando Magic. Remember how many emails we got? Oh, they're off to this incredible start. They're played fast. They're confusing people. Nobody knows what to do. I mean, you can win a lot of games really early in the season just on pure effort and hustle, as we've seen, because the the Wizards lose every game on uh, lack of effort right. and lack of hustle. You know, once you get to around Thanksgiving, the talent starts to, to play a, a bigger role in it, and then you know, those younger teams, those teams that are just trying to sort of uh, you know, manufacture wins any way they can early in the season, you know, start to look uh you know a little bit shakier.
1: Yeah, I mean, Thanksgiving is a is a good safe benchmark. Um for me it's weird. The more I followed the NBA the shorter that window has gotten. I, I think my general policy at this point is to wait about a month before we see what's real. But even after a month, people are still going to continue to say it's too early all the way up until like Christmas. And I think generally the first like 15 games or so actually give you a pretty good indication of how things are going to shake out with various teams. And uh, so I would, s- my answer to Barack would be that. What we see early on more often than not winds up being true and uh and winds up being real. I think there are obviously outliers. I don't know if the Kings are going to be a playoff team in the West, although we do have to talk Kings later in the podcast. Um, but along those lines, the team that I am most curious about and and most uneasy about trusting, um, is the Houston Rockets, and I'm curious whether you have any Rockets thoughts so far.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I should also clarify: like, I'm not saying don't point out flaws or like don't realize that there could be serious causes for concern with these teams until Thanksgiving. I'm just saying, like, don't write a team off completely until sort of we get to that window, especially if they're dealing with either early season injuries, suspensions, changing totally. lineups, or whatever else. I mean, that that was sort of what I was getting at. And look, I'll be honest, like. I'm definitely worried about the Rockets. I'm worried about the Sixers. Uh, we can go. I'm a little bit worried about the Lakers, although you know they had the suspension stuff, so I'm going to give them a little bit more time. I'm basically out on the Oklahoma City Thunder already. I didn't think the Timberwolves were going to make the playoffs. Everything I've said, seen <laughs> says they will not do that. I mean, I'm. It's I'm not trying to be like overly cautious on every single one of these, but if there's like some pretty clear fundamental issues with teams and there's not some obvious fix to it where they just need to get the chemistry, the reps together, or somebody's coming back who's really going to save them uh, or whatever, like, I don't think we should be, uh, you know, reluctant to point that out.
1: Well, yeah. And what I was saying is that oftentimes I think people end up overcorrecting with some of this and some of the caution that's thrown into these conversations. And I'm with you on all of those fronts, by the way. I mean, I'm pretty much out on the thunder out on the wolves, definitely out on the, the wizards. Um, the rockets point though, when I said I'm uneasy, what I mean is like, I, I don't feel great writing this team off. Um, even writing them off into a, like a different tier in the West. I still think that they could be really good, but God, they have looked so bad through the first two and a half weeks of the season. And some of this, I think, is just a structural issue where they don't have very many good players anymore. I mean, it's Chris Paul. Eric Gordon looked great against the Warriors, but he's still probably not as good as his reputation suggests, I think. And then Melo, I mean, Melo, there's going to be a lot of focus on him as kind of like the face of everything Houston has done wrong. But if that's the case, and if that's the conversation we are going to have, like, Melo's problem hasn't been defense, which I think a lot of people were worried about in Houston. But just like in OKC last year, the biggest problem with Melo is that even his offense isn't really there anymore, and he just can't hit shots. And so then he becomes completely unplayable, except that the Rockets don't have many alternatives. And so I... I am worried, but I also am kind of fearful of writing off a team that's been a fifty-win team, like more often than not over the last decade.
0: Uh, I really liked where you were going with that. Can I just have one little fact check to save you, you know, from the blog boys? Like his problem has been defense too. He's been well, <laughs> really bad on that. And, and look, they're already talking about scrapping their entire switching scheme in large part because you can't play him in those lineups and not get you know just picked to death. In those situations, it's not just his fault. Just like you know his you know undying love of these long twos, which is continued in Houston, uh, is not their only issue on offense, but it's a problem. But well, I don't think yes. Houston's what problems- I mean
1: know with with the mellow yeah. defense thing. The baseline for him is bad on defense, and and you can work with that if he's at least going to score fifteen to twenty points a game on offense. And help Andrew, you Those days end. are
0: so far gone. The only person still believing in Melo last year was you. Okay. Everybody else has already given up on him. He's been bad on offense and he's been bad on defense. Yes. He's just bad. Yeah. he's That's just why bad. he didn't That's open. That's the
1: point. It's like he wouldn't yeah. necessarily be a disaster if he could still score, but he can't do that. And at that point, I don't really know what he gives anyone.
0: I think even if he was good on offense, he would this season. Uh, he would present some serious issues defensively as well. And we're seeing that come out not just because of him, but because they don't have Ariza, uh, because they don't have Mbamute, these guys who could really, you know, switch seamlessly through multiple positions, like Melo can guard zero positions, right? But those other guys weren't just guarding one, they were guarding two, three, four spots sometimes. And that's really what, you know, made their entire scheme work last year, they don't have those guys this year. And, And you're right to point out, they're very top heavy. So any game that Chris misses or James misses, I mean, just look at the salary distribution for this season compared to a couple years ago, like, those two guys are making such a huge percentage of their, you know, overall team cap that you can't pay other quality players really to, uh, to, to supplement them. So if they're out, or they're not playing well, you know, they're, Uh, Margin for victory is much smaller than it's been. You know, even last year. You know, I saw a very fire tweet last night. Actually, I wrote a very fire tweet (laughs) last night. Oh boy! Last year's Rockets started twenty-five and five. They didn't have their fifth loss until December twentieth. This year's Rockets started one and five. Their fifth loss came on October thirtieth. I mean, that's almost two months difference in terms of you know when you 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 fall that far behind in the loss column. And this is what I mean about. It not being uh, you know too early to to react here, this team does not have a chance of beating Gold State in the playoffs. And you know I was a very strong Rockets uh, believer and backer all of last year. I said for months uh, in you know in advance to the Western Conference Finals, you got to take these guys seriously. And in the Western Conference Finals, as you were trying to downplay them at every single turn, I I got their back. But look, if you're going to compete with a juggernaut, you have to have everybody on the same page, perfect alignment, and they don't. And I don't even think if they pull off a Jimmy trade for just picks and no players, they're still going to be in a position to do that. That doesn't mean they can't have a good season. They could even still finish with a top two seed, but I do not see them competing with Golden State this season.
1: Well, a couple things to address there. But first, I want to talk about your use of the phrase fire tweet, Um, because Sometimes I think of myself as, like, the cool guy on this podcast and you as the 60-year-old man. But then you come through every now and then talking about fire tweets. Remember a couple podcasts ago you talked about This Ain't It. And I think that you're more hip than you let on in some of your takes.
0: Well, you know. What can I say? I'm just edu- educating you on the ingredients of a thug passion over here. No problem. Would just another say, day for me.
1: Would you say that you are big mad about Jimmy Butler in Minnesota?
0: I'm very large mad about Jimmy Butler. <laughs> it's so disappointing. Don't get me back on that topic. But anyway, yeah, well, with the Rockets. So I mean,
1: hold on. With the Rockets. The the Warriors conversation is so far off my radar with this team. I, I It doesn't even... Like it's completely irrelevant to talk about how they match up with the Warriors because they're not even in the same galaxy with Golden State right now. And I, my questions, but you didn't with think them, that
0: last year, though. Did did you? You didn't think that last year. I no, mean, you no, didn't no. give them respect, but you thought they were in the same galaxy.
1: Yeah, I thought the only interesting thing you could say about that team was that they were good enough to potentially push the Warriors. And so we had that conversation for five or six months about whether they could really do it. But now. I'm more curious, like, where do they finish in the West? Because, you know, Harden is going to have to be amazing to keep all this going. And I don't know if he has that in him for another seven months And uh, I could easily see them being like fifth place or sixth place. I
0: can see what you're doing. You're tiptoeing down the path towards trying to say that Houston's not going to make the playoffs so that you can can get revenge on all the times I told you, you know, Russell Westbrook shouldn't have won the MVP, you know, retroactively. So you can come back and say, well, Harden wasn't really the MVP. You want to be able to have bragging rights on this debate. I can tell.
1: Well, so here's the thing. I am so low on so many different teams in the West that unfortunately it's not possible to write off all the teams that I'm low on. Like eventually some of them are going to have to make the playoffs. So I can't pick the Wolves, the Rockets. um, Who else am I low (laughs) on? Like none of these teams are really that impressive. It's basically like the the Nuggets, Jazz, and Warriors are the only teams I really believe in out West.
0: Yeah. What you're describing is how I felt about the Easter conference every year for the last 18 years. So congratulations. (laughs) Uh, but no, I, I think the teams that could take Houston's place, I mean, our little pet project of the preseason was Denver, right? Yeah, They, to me have really checked all those boxes. I mean, they're not too far away from being undefeated. Uh, Utah, who you mentioned is, is definitely looked pretty solid. Portland, I think has been, uh, you know, a pleasant surprise. They've often got out to strong starts, though. I think that that's one of those teams that loves to spend like a month working out together, you know, in uh, September to like you know, make sure they're ready to rock uh, well, on yeah. the first game of the season. I would say
1: Portland looks good. New Orleans looks good. And then after that, I mean, the Spurs look good and you should always bet on the Spurs. So I guess that gets us to six or seven. Um, But I don't know where Houston fits in in that mix.
0: So let me ask you: Are you ready to? Are you writing the Lakers out of the playoffs? Or are you still? Oh they're going to yeah, that
1: the game? Lakers were the team I forgot. The Lakers are out of the playoffs as far as I've seen. And I
0: was kind of there before the
1: season even began. So this isn't overreacting to six games. I just don't see this ending well for
0: LA. This is, a, is this a Halloween prank or are you serious? <laughs> no, I'm completely serious. You, you're betting against LeBron James on October 31st. Let are you me tell dead serious? you something,
1: Ben you have spent too much time in the Staples center bubble because it's not actually that crazy to watch this Lakers team and conclude that they don't have enough to make a playoff run this year. Like they're, they're good, but the pieces just don't really fit at all. And uh, they, I mean, look, they could make a trade and, and position themselves better for the final two thirds of the season. So that's always a possibility. But right now, if, if, JaVale McGee is their option at center for the next six months. There's no way they make the playoffs.
0: Wow, wow. So you don't think they're going to pull together some chemistry or finally having your your nephew back in the lineup after a week and a half long absence is going to make a difference? You think that they are who they're going to be at this point sitting at two and five?
1: Uh, no, <laughs> two and five. I don't think that they're going to be like a 30 win team, but I think that they're going to hover right around 40 and it's going to depend on how... Long LeBron stays engaged and I could see him getting two-thirds of the way through the season and kind of checking out because this Lakers team clearly doesn't have enough to make a run even to the second round let alone like the finals and so I'm not sure how he's going to respond to that but um, but in general I think that the main point is that the West becomes very messy after those first like three or four
0: teams. I think the main point is you just said the Lakers are not making the playoffs. So let's go ahead and spread that one across the website for a lot of clicks. Write that down in black ink. I'm cool with it. Whatever. I'm with you. Hey, on this same topic, though, but shifting conferences to Philadelphia, you know, I actually gave you a compliment on our group text, which might have been the first time in like six months. But of course, you were doing your self-care thing, probably watching some uh, movie or television (laughs) show or whatever it is. So you can get away from your wizard's pain. The number one thing you might have been right about more than anything else this offseason was predicting Philly regression. Yeah. And it hasn't even just been like a slow start in the standings. I think they're right now, as we're talking, something like four and four, and they they took a pretty rough loss to Toronto uh, the other night. It's the aesthetics, too. You know, I had this team way high on the, uh, the entertainment value rankings. Uh, you know, I think some people were putting them up there maybe even as number one. I know you said you love to watch the Sixers. Yeah. Are you loving to watch Ben Simmons, 11 turnovers, Markel Fultz, you know, just wasting space, and then Embiid not really being that same impact guy he was last year? I mean, how, how confident are you with your skepticism kind of paying out right on schedule?
1: Well, it's interesting. I had saved this question for later in the podcast, but we can jump into it here. Tim says, at what point do we start doing hashtag old takes exposed? for Sixers fans who started acting like their team had won the title after trading for the number one pick that became Markel Fultz. And um, my thought on that is that you could hashtag old takes expose like most of the basketball internet and uh, basketball media for the way we talked about the Sixers like at the end of last season and after their first round win in Miami. I mean we were all in on on what Philly had. And I started to take a step back quicker than most people this summer uh, because I think that like that Boston series exposed a bunch of real serious flaws. And then you take away two pieces of that rotation and like the future was, was more uncertain than I think a lot of people realized. But in general, I think they're just, they have two really good players in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, but they don't have much else that you can like definitively count on. Um, and part of that is Dario starting slow. Part of that is Covington being a good role player, potential fifth starter, but like nothing more than that. And then I I really do think Fultz has kind of thrown off their rhythm in a more general sense, and and it's affecting Simmons a little bit, and uh, and it, it's maybe worth it to to sacrifice in the hopes that this will pay off in six months and the first two months will be kind of rocky. But uh, th- there are real sacrifices right now because the whole team just looks out of sync.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm watching Ben Simmons commit 11 turnovers, and I'm wondering if Jason Kidd's his coach. You know what I mean? It's like, what happened? Where is all the space that he had to operate? Where is the beautiful functioning offense that Brett Brown sort of made his reputation on? It's not there. I blame a lot of it on faults. I don't know if you saw that one game where they were just hard doubling off of him basically the entire game and just letting him do whatever he wanted on the court. Was that the Hawks I game? Se- yeah, I haven't seen any team do that that blatantly since Kobe Bryant did it by himself against Will Barton as like a psych-out <laughs> strategy in like 2008 <laughs> or nine. I yeah. thought it was b- brilliant coaching and I think everyone should do it. And look, I, So I mean, let it, me ask you,
1: I'm pretty shocked that that more teams aren't doing that and I think it may just be everyone is kind of feeling things out this first month or two, but in a must win game against the Sixers, like if they were ever to go to the playoffs with this team and this starting lineup, like I can't even You'd imagine get, no, how disrespectful slow down, no. it's gonna get.
0: Yeah, slow down, because we know the defenses would treat them differently in a must-win game. There's no question. They would do exactly what the Hawks did and just ignore him. Yeah. But look, let's bottom line this. In a must-win playoff game, Fultz is not starting. Well, is yeah. he getting off the bench? I mean, is he is he playing, or do you DMP him?
1: And no, I think he can still help for 10 or 15 minutes a game if if he's on the ball, and I, and I think we've seen that early this season. Like, the stretches where Fultz looks okay, he's initiating the offense – The problem is, even in that role, he's not very efficient and still looks out of control half the time. And so I I think playing him any more than like 10 or 15 minutes as the 8th or ninth guy off the bench is going to be asking too much this season. But if I were Philly, that at least gives you hope of maybe building trade value and convincing teams that Fultz still has something there. Because when he's out there with the starters, he really does look lost. I mean, he basically stands in the corner the entire time. And then when he gets the ball, he's immediately looking to pass. And it's just kind of a rough watch. And then you, you see the way it affects Simmons, who has his own limits. And uh, I'm, I'm really not sure how much longer they can continue this because if they're 500 through the first eight weeks, like there's going to be a lot of scrutiny around this team and things are going to start to get kind of weird.
0: I mean, there should be, it's a charity case. I mean, there, there's no way around it. And I stick to my, what I said a couple of weeks ago, he should go to the coaching staff and say, I want to earn this starting spot. I'm not earning it right now. Uh, let's, you yeah. know, let me take this one for the team, but you know, he won't do that. So what are you going to do? Hey, don't you think though, the ship has already sailed on his trade value, like at least for the, the meaningful future. Yes. Like, is anybody really going to take a flyer on him before the deadline?
1: Well, yeah, I don't know why I said that because I, <laughs> Anyone who's watched these first 2 weeks, I can't imagine any team employee would be that encouraged and would look at him as anything more than a throw-in in a deal, um which is a bummer. And again, like as I wrote and as we've said on this podcast, all of this really sucks and it's really hard and I'm sure it's really hard for folks, but if you're being realistic about what Philly has and and the options that they're going to have moving forward, sure. You're correct that the trade value is basically 0 at this point.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I think the books out for the Scouts cuz you know there's some scout for the Hawks who like wrote a report saying do not guard him under any circumstances well, yeah. and the coaches the coaches thought about it, watched the tape and they were like, "Huh, yeah, and no, Lloyd that's Pierce that's exactly was in right." in
1: Philadelphia all of last year, so he has kind of more insight than most coaches would. Um but moving on yeah, that's
0: actually a great point. Like his his former family members are turning their back on him. That is rough. It's
1: tough. Well, and then look, there are a bunch of legitimate questions to ask of Ben Simmons. And I, I think it is probably unfair to pin all of Philly's struggles on Foltz because Simmons was awful against the Raptors too. And I think teams are going to start to guard him differently going forward. And, uh, and Brett Brown well, is going to have to figure out a way around that.
0: Yeah, they're just gonna have to find Kawhi Leonards though. I mean that's gonna be the (laughs) trick, right? Like we're gonna we're gonna guard Ben Simmons with a new philosophy. It's called, you know, pluck a Kawhi Leonard out of nowhere and and see how it works. No, but I, I think there is a direct impact on Simmons and you know, I think there's a question like, is he going to be an all star? Like I told you over the summer, maybe back when you were saying everybody was getting too excited about the Sixers, I thought he would be an all star starter. I think both I mean, of us
1: f- were certain that he was going to be an all star. I wasn't going to go and call him an all star starter, but like that seemed like a foregone conclusion, and now it's kind of up in the air.
0: Yeah, I thought the fans would vote him in, and we'll see. I mean, I, I'm not sure he's he's played like that so far, and I, I do think a lot of it has to do not just with faults, but. Uh, you know, their their three point shooting percentage, I think, is below average right now. You know, I think maybe even bottom ten. Uh, and that's a huge issue. I mean, he's got to have room to operate. and we see how much, you know, that space down the stretch of last season made him a different player
1: moving forward, Jeff says, uh, the first two weeks of Warriors games are pointing toward an epic record setting season. We all understand that Kerr will rest players throughout the season. However, Do you think this squad can go for 74 wins, even with some of the stars taking nights off along the way? What do you think, Ben?
0: Well, funny you should ask, Andrew, because I wrote a column today called 10 NBA Records the Warriors Should Try to Break, obviously inspired by Klay Thompson's unbelievable performance, getting the 14 three-pointers in three quarters against the Chicago Bulls, and Not to, you know, spoiler alert, the the 10th record they should try to break is to get 74 wins. Do I think that they're going to do it? No. Do I think they could do it? Yes. I mean, that's really where they're playing. Their offense is so much more efficient this year by the numbers than it was in Steph's 2016 MVP season. Or even the 2017 season where both Steph and KD were healthy basically all year long, and they actually had a more efficient offense that year than they did in 2016. This is on track to be the most dominant offense in NBA history, full stop, period, better than everybody, including the Showtime Lakers, Jordans, Bulls, everybody. Yeah. And so there you go. You're going to win a lot of games with that, especially when you've got Draymond captaining your defense. Um, I have a few of these records. I want them to chase. I want to run by them by you and you tell me what you think, whether they should do it or not. Okay. Yeah. Hit me. The NBA record for most teammates to have a 50 point game in one season is three. They've already got two with Steph and clay. So that's having easy. Durant be the third, that's a no brainer, right? Yeah. Should they try to force feed cousins when he comes back and make it four? what do you think? <laughs>
1: Oh, man. Of course. And by the way, I think that's what they're gonna do. I think that they're gonna spend a lot of nights looking to feed DeMarcus and make him look incredible. And that's gonna be kind of a novelty that carries them through the, like, dead months of the season. Like, December through March is gonna be all about boogie for those Warriors because... There's just nothing else to keep things interesting. So they'll see if they can make him look like a superstar.
0: Okay, here's another one. Most points in a game in franchise history, you might think only franchise history. Why not the full NBA? Well, the full NBA record is 186 and it required three overtimes. That's pretty high, right? Golden State had 92 first half points against Chicago. So clearly they're capable of a really, really big number. The franchise record was 169 points, and it was set on the night that Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points, you know, the, the famous all-time NBA scoring record game. Yeah. Should Golden State try to top, just go all out for four quarters to score 170 points so they can erase Wilt Chamberlain from the record books?
1: Um, Yes, they should. Look, we should be rooting for them to do all of the records that you're about to list. Um, like go for, go okay. for everything, Golden State. But I think... With this particular one, though, I think we need to qualify it. We would need Golden State to do this against a good team or at least a team that they've traditionally had battles with. And so I think, uh, granted, we talked a lot about how bad Houston has looked thus far this year, but a Golden State 180, 190-point game has to happen against a team like the Rockets. And the Warriors don't respect the Rockets so I think they may resent people kind of putting the Rockets in the, in the same category with them. So it's possible. They could really do it. Uh, but I think it would be in poor taste to do it to a team like the Bulls. So we need it. We need like a playoff caliber team to be the team that gets blown out here.
0: Just to make it worse from Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals, Golden State would put up 180 in Houston's building. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> what oh, I'm envisioning okay. here. Here's a Steph Curry factoid for you and then my goal for Steph, okay? Uh Uh-huh. Right now, Steph Curry is on pace for 492 three-pointers this season if he enjoys perfect health. 492. No other player besides Steph Curry has ever hit more than 276 three-pointers in a season. Isn't that just completely nuts? Like, he's almost doubled the nearest guy and that guy was Clay Thompson. Anyway, here's what they should do with Steph. They should go after Kobe. They should try to get, Steph, 82 points in a single game. And I know this is tricky ethically, right? But I think we're at a point where Golden State has taken the celebrations so far during games. They've taken these crazy three-quarter records, oh, 60 points and three-quarters for Clay. They've done that so many times that they've sort of conditioned the audience to realize that to root for it, basically, because you don't even hear them saying, hey, they're up by 42 points against the Bulls at halftime. Why are they bringing their starters back? Nobody says that the old school guys like me who who believe in sportsmanship are being completely drowned out by people who just say, more offense, more offense, more offense, like feed us, right? right. Should they try to feed Steph to get him 82 points to kind of knock Kobe off of that NBA holy grail and to just sort of swallow the 12 to 24 minutes of embarrassment that it would take? Uh, you know, to chase that record and basically grant Steph like a lifetime uh, of legendary status.
1: So let me ask you, are you in favor of them doing all of these things?
0: Not all of them, but, you know, hypothetically, yes. I think in practice, there's a few of them where the ethics get a little bit concerning (laughs) to me.
1: (laughs) Because what I was going to say is I think that you're implicitly lobbying for Golden State to fire Steve Kerr and bring someone else in who's going to let them screw around and do all this shit. Because there's no way Steve Kerr is ever going to stand by and let Steph Curry go for 82 points. It just isn't going to happen.
0: So I've got a counter for you, Andrew. What if this? What if the Golden State Warriors superstars did the ultimate tribute to their coach, the ultimate strength in numbers powwow, and they got all 13 active players to score in double figures in the same game for the first time in NBA history, if they spread the love around to everybody in completely egalitarian fashion, um, if they did that, could they make a trade with Kerr and then have him (laughs) let Steph chase 82? What do you think?
1: Did you put that in the column? I haven't read it yet, but that's a good little twist.
0: I did. What do you think?
1: Uh yeah, I think that's that's a, a workable compromise between the players and Steve Kerr. That could work.
0: Everybody wins. So, hey Andrew, do you think they should go for 74 though?
1: Uh I don't think they I don't think they will. They should. I mean, I I almost feel like the Warriors would avoid going that direction just for superstition's sake. I think uh after the way 2016 played out, they just don't really want to be anywhere near a season record and they don't want to be anywhere near the conversation that kind of weighs everyone down as the season unfolds. I think it's more realistic that they would at one point this season, try to break the 36 wins in a row Lakers record, um, which is doable also in general. I I'm just thrilled with what they have done so far. This is the Warriors team that is impossible to root against because watching them at this level is just so much fun and so outrageous that you can't even be upset and and I think it's a a sharp departure from the team that we've been dealing with the last 2 years.
0: Listen to you respecting greatness. I love it, Andrew. It makes my heart melt. I have a counterpoint uh, to something you said though. Uh-huh. Is it possible that rather than looking at the chase as like a burden They're looking at the Eastern Conference and just kind of chuckling and being like, Jason Tatum, (laughs) Jalen Brown, (laughs) like, really? Like, Kyle Lowry, really? Like, oh, Giannis is going to knock us out in the finals? Are we really worried about conserving our energy for that? I I mean, I think one big dynamic shift of LeBron going West is like they very well may not have to face him in the playoffs, whether somebody else knocks them out or if, as you've predicted, they just don't even make it. Who else scares them? And I know uh, Sam Amick did a piece about that for the Athletic. But if I'm them looking around, I'm not scared by Denver. Uh, I'm not if I, if I'm them. I'm not scared by Utah. They've taken care of them pretty handily in the playoffs. They've completely wiped New Orleans and Portland out of the playoffs in recent years. Houston, I would not be scared of them right now. I'm not scared of the Lakers under any circumstances. And I look at the Eastern Conference teams, and not even your you know, true green Boston Celtics pride is going to be enough to get me scared of them. I think the trickiest team, honestly, for them probably is Toronto just because of the Kawhi factor. But even then, Toronto's got to make it there first. And I don't know if I'm Golden State, this is like a completely freewheeling season. I feel like there's no pressure on them. Uh, Katie is playing out of his mind. Uh, Steph's playing out of his mind. Clay's finally back on track. Like, I think they should gun for everything. That's what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, and I would add two final points here. I think, number one, um, what I talk about when I say this is the Warriors team, we kind of want it all along, is like now we get to see them hitting on all cylinders and just blowing teams off the court and making the whole league look helpless rather than kind of just going through the motions while also having enough talent to render the entire season a a formality and i think if you're gonna do that like we at least deserve a show and they're giving us a show and um and a lot of that comes back to steph this is the best steph curry has looked in the last three years and when he ever when he
0: no 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 stop there ever he's never played better than this yeah i mean if you look at his shooting splits his scoring average just for a two week stretch. I think this is the best Steph we've ever seen.
1: And it has been true all along in golden state that their highest ceiling comes when Steph is the guy that's starting everything. When he's the catalyst on offense, they become a completely unstoppable machine. And, um, and it's been true at various points in the last two seasons as well. But the, the partnership with Durant has been in kind of a strange place at times. And, um, so far, we've seen Curry just kind of take the wheel, and then Durant has found his spots, Clay has found his spots, Draymond is still doing his thing, but like it's it's Steph. And when that's true, the Warriors become the most entertaining team on the planet, and maybe ever. And so um I think that's a win for everybody because if we have to sit through this goddamn Warriors era. It might as well be fun. (laughs) and We might as well see Klay Thompson go off for 40 points and a half and just, like, blow our minds. The one record that I really do care about from them is if this is going to be the last year for Duran, Golden State, and this version of the dynasty, I really want to see them go for 16-0 in the playoffs because I think at some point Mm. we deserve to see them kind of show exactly how dominant they are and and show like history how much better they were than anyone else in the league at this time and uh and i think it's very doable for all the reasons you laid out and and that's the one that i'd love to see them get
0: look katie if you go 16 and 0 in these playoffs you better not leave you better run <laughs> that back
1: Uh, Come on. No, that's a, it's a good kind of parting shot from KD. And then he can go to New York or Philly or wherever.
0: Hey, uh, can we have a somewhat serious interlude here to talk about sportsmanship? Because as I hinted at, like there's some, (laughs) just bear with me for a second, please. There is a little gray area in terms of like, if you're really going to be chasing some of these records. Right. And I just was curious during that Warriors Bulls game. I mean, these guys are prancing all over the court, uh, they are force feeding clay to a degree which you'll rarely ever see in the nba he is just burying shot after shot after shot they've already secured the victory i guess my argument to steve kerr would be like if you're willing to put up with that for almost four quarters like isn't this like fake uh sportsmanship to just pull him out during the fourth quarter like you're either a sportsman or you're not right So pick a side, I guess is what I'm saying. Like they already ran up the score. They already did it while sort of mocking the Bulls. The Bulls realized what was happening. They were hopeless to stop it. And the Bulls fans seemed pretty excited about the whole thing and just wanted it to continue. So why are we arbitrarily saying nothing in the fourth quarter?
1: Well, I don't know. I actually understand where Kerr is coming from on that one. It does sort of cheapen the game toward the end of that third quarter the Warriors were just running everything through clay and, and try to make it as ridiculous as possible. And I think if you do that for an entire game and and turn a regular season NBA game into basically like a Globetrotters exhibition, it becomes a little bit of a bummer for, for a lot of people who care about the league. Um,
0: so, But I'm saying, like, aren't those people feeling that way already about what's happening? I mean, it was pretty... It was pretty egregious. It I thought, was during that game. <laughs> it definitely was. And so, wait, did you? So did you have a problem with it or no?
1: Uh, I didn't really because it it just sort of it it comes with the territory. But I don't blame Steve Kerr for trying to at least draw a line somewhere. I I I'm not out here lobbying for Kerr to to let Clay go for eighty or ninety points. <laughs> like it's fine. The game was was crazy enough as it was.
0: Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, I agree there should be a line, right? But back in my day, you know, 2015, the line was guys don't die on the bench. You know, when somebody gets crossed over, you just stand there and clap or you you swing a towel. That used to be the line. Now guys are like doing, you know, uh, crazy bench mob, like choreographed celebrations. People are falling down onto the ground as if they fainted. I mean, they're doing all these ridiculous things. You know, they're turning around doing 360s after people hit, uh, hit shots. I mean, There has absolutely been a Warriors-led change of behavior and antics in the NBA. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's a fact. Those things have changed. So why are we drawing such a firm line if you're Steve Kerr at this 12-minute mark, where it's like everything before the fourth quarter goes— and, and it goes in a way that it never used to five years ago. But still, the fourth quarter is like sacrosanct and we can't play these guys. And don't give me the injury excuse either. Like, you can get injured celebrating during a second quarter when you're up by 42. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> well, it's it goes back to your proposal to get Steph his 82-point game. This is a compromise with the players. He's going to give them three quarters. And then if it's out of hand, he's going to do his old man Steve Kerr thing. Which, by the way, it sounds like you agree with. And I appreciate because it's this is you... Reinhabiting your role as the podcast's resident 75-year-old and and that yeah that's
0: that's what i'm saying i, I see steve kerr trying to be on his high horse my horse is higher okay okay good. i'm saying steve look around <laughs> at the chaos around you you can't pretend like you're being nice to these teams you're up 42 at the half against chicago and you're running the starters back out there for another nine minutes. I mean, come on, you can't have it both ways. Yes,
1: well, uh, one other thing from that game, Ian said, If only the Bulls had five Bradley Beals, and
0: absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with so you, true Ian.
1: And uh, another thing, listener Zed pointed out that Jabari Parker was a central figure throughout that Bulls Warriors matchup, at, which is pretty hilarious considering that Jabari was the guy this summer who said, Players don't get paid to play defense, Um, so the proof is in the pudding with Jabari. The Bulls, we may have given them a little bit too much credit when we said they weren't going to be worse than the Cavs this year. Like It could end up being a photo finish between Chicago and Cleveland at the bottom of the East.
0: Yeah, it was pretty interesting how those Zach Levine emails seemed to stop right about the time <laughs> Clay was going for 14 threes. I mean, come on. Oh, man.
1: Um, all right, couple more questions. We've gone longer than we intended here. Sonny says, I'm not even a Raptors fan, but how are you guys not talking about Kawhi and Lowry's dominance in, in the East? They are destroying teams, and I think if the Raptors get a top one or two seed, there's got to be serious consideration going toward Kawhi as an MVP candidate, maybe the leading MVP candidate. As far as the Raptors talk is concerned, I have to say I'm very proud of how right we were on the Bucs. And like you said, I was right about a Sixers regression. I was also calling for a huge year at Golden State. I think I said they were going to win 68 games. Uh, But... (laughs) We were both pretty wrong on the Raptors, and Kawhi does look oh, incredible. Speak for yourself.
0: <laughs> Stop this wee thing. Unless you got a mouse in your pocket, speak for yourself. Okay. <laughs> now, here's the thing. First of all, you can't be an MVP candidate if you don't play in road games. Okay. So, so let's start there. I mean, okay. They haven't. He's been sat on both their road games, and there by we the go. way, Captain, they haven't been. <laughs> They haven't been dominating the East because they got absolutely worked by the Bucks without Giannis. I mean, if I saw an MVP candidate in that game, I think his name was Chris Middleton. I don't. I don't think it was anybody on Toronto's side. Oh boy. Um, now, in terms of you know all seriousness, they've looked really good. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, but they've had a very home heavy schedule, so let's see how that that balances out. Uh, I'm not sure. To me that Kawhi has yet pierced this MVP conversation, not only because he's resting a little bit, uh, but also because they're really deep. They've been really deep and they've got a lot of talent. This is not a one-man army performance from Kawhi Leonard. And I think both Giannis, Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, all those guys to me are clearly more impressive than what Kawhi's done here early in the season.
1: Yeah. And I, I think to parse your words a little bit, the reason Kawhi isn't quite as impressive as... Uh, Steph and Giannis, maybe, is just because the rest of the Raptors have also been like wildly overachieving through the first two or three weeks. I mean, Kyle Lowry is playing out of his mind right now. They're getting great games from just about the entire roster. And so Kawhi has been awesome, though. <laughs> like, I'm not going to let you underplay how good he's been through the first couple weeks. And I really didn't expect to see it. I thought. And my my skepticism was not entirely rational, but just for basketball karma reasons, I didn't think he was going to be able to kind of sit out an entire year and then just come back in Toronto and pick up where he left off in 2017. And also, like, the two weeks he played with the Spurs last year, he just didn't look right. And, like, anybody who watched those Spurs games had enough reason to be concerned about what Kawhi was going to be this year. Um, And it turns out all those concerns were completely misplaced, and he looks awesome so far.
0: Yeah, player tanking. What did I say? (laughs) Um, I I would say Kawhi's probably in that 5-7 to range uh, in terms of MVP. I think Durant's had arguably a better start than Kawhi too. But look, I'm giving him some of his credit, okay? But let's see him play on the road first. And I don't know how long they're planning to do this resting thing for him. Yeah, uh, It's pretty pretty aggravating, though. I mean, to not get to see that, that game on, uh, what is it, Monday night between Milwaukee and Toronto. I mean, I was so looking forward to that game. That was going to be like my counterbalance to watching the Wizards in person on Sunday was to watch two good teams on Monday night. And then it got ruined on both sides because Giannis had a concussion and and Kawhi just doesn't play on the road. Yeah,
1: that game was like the NBA nerd Super Bowl because, like, really normal people were not that fired up for Bucks Raptors in late October. But anybody who cares way too much about basketball was all in on that game. And I was bummed too, but...
0: It is it, Yeah, the old, the old guys at the bar were watching baseball, right? Well, we knew <laughs> we knew you should be watching a Bucks game wherever you are. It was
1: going to be great. And and I am very happy to have the best version of Kawhi Leonard back in the NBA. Someone from another team texted me last week and said, "Well, looks like we all fucked up not trading for Kawhi Leonard." And uh, it's been fun to sort of see that play out because it's true. You look back and it's people were like, I don't know what, what should the Sixers give up for one year of Kawhi? And, and there are that same conversation happened with like five different teams. Like, do you think the Lakers would give up Brandon Ingram to have Kawhi now? I think they would.
0: Well, I guess one other thing in terms of like, you know, is it too early? Not too early? Like pump the brakes. Kawhi has got to stay healthy. That's true. He's back healthy and it's great to see, but he's had issues staying healthy the whole way. Okay.
1: Um, that's a fair point. All right, moving on from the Raptors to Kawhi's old team, Ben says When the Spurs lost DeJounte Murray, experts wrote off their chance of making the playoffs. After watching the first few weeks of games, what do you think now? Does Ben still believe that DeRozan, who is averaging 28, 6, and 8, won't make the Western Conference All Star team?
0: Andrew, stop sending in these questions under pseudonyms, okay? I'm on to (laughs) you. We spent the last three years of you, you know, cherry-picking DeMar's stat lines for the first two weeks of the season and telling me, look, if DeMar continues to average 36 points, you have to admit that he's better than Chris Middleton. You do this every single year, Andrew. Come on, don't do this again. Yeah,
1: look, I'm not intending to troll you with this question, okay? And it's not what this is about. The Spurs do look very good. DeRozan. They do. And, he, looks and good. by the way,
0: he looks awesome. Yeah. He looks awesome. He's he's fit well. And I think the assist factor, when Popovich said, DeMar's the best passer on our team, my eyes fell out of my head. You know, like my <laughs> head fell off my body and it just started like rolling down a hill. And then I put it all back together and realized he was right.
1: Yeah. I, I think my issue with DeRozan is that the only full Spurs game that I've seen so far was Spurs Lakers in LA. And down the stretch of that game, DeRozan was getting locked up pretty consistently. And it reminded me of a dozen different like disappointing playoff games from DeRozan. So my guard is still up, but his numbers are incredible. And, uh, and I think the Spurs are succeeding for a lot of the same reasons we thought they would succeed before the DeJounte injury. I mean, just having an extra star there and the stability of knowing who's going to be there every night goes a long way for a team that's already more competent than like 80% of the league. And so I think they're going to be in good shape regardless. How do you, how high do you yeah. see them potentially finishing in the West?
0: Well, one second before that, in the interest of balance, and I can't believe I'm doing this, you mentioned that DeMar got locked up in one Lakers game. He also came back and basically hit the game winner in the next Lakers yeah. game with Josh Hart all over him. So like, he had the, like, Valley Damar that we've seen in the playoffs, but he also had the peak Damar of, like, oh, I got the tough two right in your face. I'm the man <laughs> that, like, the Raptors fans were telling us about for years. So he's he's given them the full experience in in San Antonio, and it's exactly what they needed. In terms of all-star or not, he's in the mix, you know, for sure. Uh, be careful, though, when you're just, like, you know, bragging about your favorite player's stats uh, those will probably come down, and they're probably a little bit inflated. And the other guys they're competing with this season, given where offense is as a whole, probably have equally insane stats. And, and that goes for like the Kemba Walker fans of the world and the Demar fans of the world and everybody else. Like, lots of guys are getting in numbers this season. Um, in terms of San Antonio, they look like a playoff team. Um, at the same time, like one more injury. Like we always say this: like, is this the final straw? Like, is this the final straw? Is this the final final straw? Uh, they've got to collectively maintain basically perfect health to me to be able to keep this thing going. Yeah. Um, But I think right now they look like a playoff team. And I think I was kind of hedging between sort of like the eight or nine seed for them uh, coming into the season. But I I think they're more in that like six, seven, eight range right now.
1: Interesting. Okay, because I was hedging also and I am Almost willing to say that they're going to be the four seed in the West, um, four or five. I That's the range I see them in. They're going to be solidly in the middle tier, um, just because I don't trust some of these other teams as much as I do San Antonio. Uh, but we'll see. Moving on to another potential entrant to the West playoff field, Atticus says, I am not gloating or counting chickens, as they say. But De'Aaron Fox looks pretty great so far. Did you two hear the comments about Fox pushing Bielitsa to engage and score? He is a leader and he has heart, and that still means something in this crazy world. That's something you want in a point guard. Unlike Ben's beloved passive ghost, Lonzo. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me t- half the reason I included this was because calling Lonzo a passive ghost is just a great take from a hateful Kings fan. Uh,
0: but, you know, one, one thing real quick before we get to the serious analysis you know, I hate apologizing. We might owe an apology to Bealiza though, because didn't we do this whole, like, riff this summer <laughs> yes. about how it didn't matter that he bailed on the Sixers and that, you know, he finally decided to sac- uh, sign with Sacramento, and who cares? And Philly could definitely well, use Bealiza right now, number one. But number two, he's averaging, I think, f- like 15 points and shooting 55% on threes so far during the season, starting every gameplay, huge minutes. We might have actually got one wrong, Andrew. I'm almost ready to admit we might have got one wrong. Yes,
1: wrong on Kawhi, wrong on Bielitsa. What actually happened, just for the record, is that I butchered the pronunciation of his name like five different times before you finally felt compelled to correct me. And then like two minutes later, you were like, look, Bielitsa is not going to make or break any team in the NBA. Why are we even talking about this? But (laughs) you're right that he would have helped the Sixers. He is helping the Kings more than I ever could have imagined. And De'Aaron Fox looks great. Ben, I tried to tell you that he was not a lost cause. You kept talking about his real plus minus. What have you seen so far from Sacramento?
0: The main thing I've seen has been a lot of opposing coaches just frustrated with their teams that they're not ready for (laughs) Sacramento's (laughs) pace. Like how many different coaches have come out and been like, we weren't ready. We knew they were going to run and we weren't ready. And I think um, they have more of a team identity than I expected off the top. And they get to it, you know, pretty consistently, which is good. And they're trying to keep up with the Joneses by playing fast. And they've uh, located a couple guys who are shooting pretty well. And they've needed that uh, for a while I'm still skeptical, surprise, surprise, that they're going to be able to sort of sustain where they're playing right now. I do think teams are going to, you know, the second time through when you face them, um, you're going to have a better grasp on on what they're trying to do. But Fox gets the credit for establishing their identity because their identity is basically like ego free. Everybody's young and fun. We're like a a college fraternity, you know, in the NBA, all, all playing together. Yeah. And, um, you know, so far they've been able to uh, to make it work and, and we'll see how long they can keep it going. Yeah,
1: I think that there are elements of this that aren't sustainable. They still aren't really guarding anybody. I still, with all due respect, I'm not sure how much I trust Bielitsa, but Willie Cauley-Stein has, has looked pretty good and he's playing really hard and we made fun of him for talking about wanting to get paid and looking at this as a contract year. But like so far... He's been a real positive for them, um, Buddy Healed.
0: Can I ask, can I ask you though? Just asterisk on that. Are is he playing so well? You're already worried about how much you're gonna have to pay him. That's <laughs> that's kind of like the, when I watch him play well, I have a hard time envisioning this ending well.
1: Yeah, it's funny because what I did this morning was rewatch Kings Heat, um, and he. Watching him in that game, I was thinking to myself, you know, good for Willie Cauley-Stein. I'm not sure he would get overpaid by any other team in the NBA, but if he has a big year for the Kings, he's going to get rewarded with a gigantic contract that probably makes no sense. And so I'm happy for him making the most of this opportunity.
0: So you just answered my question, which is yes, Yes. (laughs) the asterisk asterisk does apply. Yes. Uh, Anyway, continue. Well,
1: look, the one guy I really would be thrilled about if I were a Kings fan is De'Aaron Fox. I think he looks like the real deal. And I was saying this coming into the draft, and a lot of people were kind of side-eyeing me because I had spent a day with him and profiled him for the magazine. But just as far as an athlete, he he had as high an upside as anyone in that draft, including Foltz, including Lonzo, and uh, I would even include Donovan Mitchell in that category even after the the first year or two in Utah. Um, He just is such a freak. He's so fast, and his ability to get to the rim is going to be a skill that most teams aren't going to be able to match night to night. And the thing... That everyone worries about is the outside shooting. But what Fox has done so far this year, he's a really solid mid-range shooter. Which, you know, you look at guys like Giannis, you look at guys like Simmons, all the people who we who we talk about needing a jump shot, their mid-range game is kind of broken too. But Fox is money from like the foul line in. And, uh, and he can get that shot because he's so fast. And so I think that there's there's something very real there. Um he needs to make more free throws and obviously the three point shooting is going to be an issue, but like that dude is good.
0: Yeah, I guess what I would say my concern about Fox at this stage of his career, it's less about his three point shooting which we knew was going to sort of uh, you know, be kind of a slow developing thing and it's more about like the team three point shooting around him because I think so far through this season they're shooting like 40% as a team which is excellent yeah. and you know 5 or 6 years ago we'd say there's no way they can continue that but when you look around the league teams are doing that now it's it's pretty wild but uh, it's not completely unsustainable in theory and you look at their three point percentage last year as a team you know they were a top 5 team by three point percentage so if that really does hold and you've got a guy in Fox who's now com- comfortable fast and sort of strong enough to get to the basket regularly and you've got this the the spread around him, they should be okay. Their offense should be in good shape, right? Even if he's a, a non-shooter, it's you know similar to the things that we say about a guy like Simmons or Giannis or any of these other guys. Like if, if you're fast enough to create really good opportunities for yourself around the basket, off the dribble, the shooting is, is less of an issue. Yeah. And, and, but he's going to be relying upon his teammates shooting uh, to maximize his ability to create those looks. That's
1: a great point. And we should also note that The Kings are another team that we could put in the is-it-too-early category. Maybe is. They're probably at the top of the list. And so we don't want to get too excited here. But it is crazy that we're even having this conversation because, like, three weeks ago, I think you you and I were on this podcast gawking at the preseason Jazz-Kings score. I think the Jazz scored, like, 160 points. Like, it was out of control. And so to even... and, And had you told me three weeks ago... Dave Yeager is going to spread out the floor and hand the keys to and Fox for this season. And, and that's how the offense is going to work. Like I would have been like, all right, I like Fox, but I don't really, I don't know how that's going to end. Uh, but it is really working out so far. It's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's still too early. Um, you know, no, no question about it. But I also think that I expected this team to be defined by their atrocious defense. And so far that hasn't been the case it's been evident you know, on multiple nights I'm just getting blown off the court that has happened but look Sacramento is currently on a four game winning streak that only happens like once every 3 years yeah. so if we don't talk about them now we never talk <laughs> about them and they've absolutely been more entertaining to watch than i ever could have expected and you know i think some people actually thought phoenix with the you know the introduction of Aiden and you know maybe some of the veteran pieces like they would make a A big jump in terms of entertainment value, and I was definitely in that camp. I thought there'd be more structure. Sacramento is the team that's wound up making the jump in terms of like who's actually fun to watch because uh, they're able to do things consistently, uh, where it's you know their offense is you know a byproduct of their plans rather than just sort of coming by accident.
1: Yeah, everybody should watch more Kings games, trust in De'Aaron Fox. Um, (laughs) they are definitely the beneficiaries of an NBA where. Defense doesn't really matter as much anymore, at least through three weeks. uh, That works out well for the Kings because it never mattered to them. Um, Podium here. That's what I
0: meant about keeping up with the Joneses, though. Speed, shooting, and, you know, just uh, up and down pace. Like, try to blitz teams off the court. And if you're playing teams like, you know, Oklahoma City, who we mentioned on previous episodes, or some of these other teams that just don't have shooters, that can work for you, even if you don't have elite talent. Yeah,
1: there you go. Um, Moving on. Podium Morgan says, I just want to extend my deepest condolences to Andrew and my sincere congratulations to Ben. The Wizards are now officially the NBA's most depressing team this year. That is all. I don't think Ben is ever rooting against the Wizards, and we are sticking with the embargo on Wiz Talk, but it did somehow get I worse mean... against Memphis. Um, so.
0: Yeah. I I just root for your misery. That's basically it. I mean, that was a a rough one, and we should abide by the terms of the embargo, though. Otherwise, we'll be here for 20 minutes you know, making fun of their team body language and everything else. It's
1: funny. I had a 15-minute conversation with my uncle today who has season tickets, and he basically just wanted to curse about every aspect of the team for the entire 15 minutes, and I was just sort of sitting there listening uh, and nodding on the other end. So... That's where wizard season is. Um, We'll see where we end up. Dwight Howard making his debut on Friday against the Thunder. I think that game might be nationally televised, which is scary to think about. But Brad says, as an avid listener of your pod from all the way in sunny Australia, I have a question for you guys. Who is the best Australian-born NBA player in history? Is Ben Simmons at that level already? Does Kyrie Irving take this mantle because he was technically born over here? Or do you have someone completely different in mind? Um, first of all, I love how many listeners we still have in Australia. We are a very pro-Australian podcast. And this is not the first email we've gotten requesting Australian NBA power rankings.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, like, we're pro-Australian. But you know who's more pro-Australian than us? All of Australia. <laughs> All they want to do is talk about the Australia players, Andrew. Every email. It's great. So do you have any takes here? Any thoughts? Well if he's gonna phrase it like this with best Australian it's, born NBA yeah. player in history, <laughs> it's it's gotta be Kyrie. Well, right? I mean doesn't, here's the thing. We're, we're not saying who's the best Australian or who's the best person who's like, you know, ever stepped foot there. I mean if you're saying Australian born and you're looking at Kyrie Irving who hit a finals clinching three pointer and is going to be a hall of famer, uh, you know, gold medalist. I mean, I think he's the guy who's got to have it, right?
1: I guess so. I don't know. I mean, to me, claiming Kyrie is a little bit too desperate. Like that—that's a move oh, you make if you're if- Switzerland or something, and you only have Thabo Slefalosha, or pretending some All other right, guys. Slow down. Yes. S-
0: slow down, because you want—you were begging for free air delis on this podcast like a <laughs> year ago. So you know, if you were Australian, you would claim Kyrie. Well,
1: no. Australia has a real NBA culture to be proud of. I wouldn't claim some random outlier guy who was technically born in Australia. I wouldn't craft the question so that I could include Kyrie Irving. Australia has plenty of awesome NBA guys. And, uh, I mean, Ben Simmons is probably the correct answer, I think, if we're being technical about it. But even the Australian guys don't really rock with Ben Simmons that way. So I don't know if I would put him on top of the power rankings either.
0: Slow down. It sounds to me like you're forgetting about Patty Mills, who could break (laughs) you off the dribble, (laughs) who could hit a game-winner in your face and who would play such suffocating defense on you, you could not even dribble the ball across half court. Well,
1: that's my answer. I think it has to be... What? I think it has to be either Joe Ingles or Patty Mills or Andrew Bogut. Oh, Patty
0: Mills is... Ooh, Andrew Bogut's a good one because he's also a champion. I'm trying to think of this in terms of like most accomplished because I think that's where Simmons falls a little short, right? Like if we answer this question in three years, I think it's pretty clear. Just my official answer would be one, Kyrie, two... You can't rank uh, Kyrie.
1: Australia can't claim Kyrie. They have to be prouder than that. Have some dignity. I don't want to sound like an Australian nationalist here, but like, come on.
0: I, I... I don't mean to be pedantic, Andrew, but that's how Brad's question was <laughs> worded. So technically, my answer is going to be Kyrie, followed by, I'm going to go Patty Mills, thinking with my heart, then Andrew Bogut, I think that, and then Simmons. That's my top four. Okay.
1: Um, yeah, I'm going with Bogut, Patty Mills, Joe Ingles, and then I also think Andrew Gaze and Luke Longley probably deserve credit. I know a lot about Australian basketball because I kind of like, followed that team while I was at the uh, Olympics in Rio and uh, like they were by far my favorite team and really my favorite athletes across all sports
0: we, we can't we can't put a gaze into this uh, conversation though Andrew because yeah and also he picked a fight with me on Twitter over their sportsmanship during a, a FIBA basketball <laughs> <laughs> tournament <he> so. really? <laughs> wait <laughs> yeah, a second
1: just to rewind you were complaining about Australia's sportsmanship during a FIBA tournament. That's what I heard from that. Yeah, story. Because,
0: no, that's exactly what happened. I mean, they they were intentionally giving up like wide open dunks, so they were basically tanking as a team because it was going to give them a better seed, so they could avoid the uh, the United States in the oh. tournament. And and basically, like Dante Exum was just dribbling the ball at the top of the key for like thirty seconds on their offensive possessions. Like they weren't even trying to create good shots; they were just letting the other team score. And I, you know, put together a post, you know, very diligently breaking down exactly how they tanked with gifs and everything how else. And Andrew Gaze came at, you no, know, it, it was shameful. Andrew and Andrew Gaze came at me, and he was like denying it. And there wound up being a FIBA investigation. I can't tell you how oh that investigation God. went, but there was there was other rival players like Goran Dragic who were offended by Australia's behavior in that tournament. And I have never forgiven Australia for that, even though I love you guys down there. And Andrew Gaze cannot make this Well,
1: I'm glad we didn't do the podcast back then because I would not have wanted to talk through that for 30 minutes with you. Um, But last question here, (laughs) Joseph says, last week, Ben mentioned he would like to see a Wonders of the World Lego collection. In this, he referenced the Sphinx, which is technically not a Wonder of the Ancient World, but would still be an amazing set. In any case, I think it's time for a power ranking of the hypothetical Lego sets of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Number one, Hanging Gardens of Babylon. The possibilities here are amazing. You could actually include live plants and real water and a functioning Lego irrigation system, or you could go classic Lego plantation. Is that a thing? Lego plantations? Um, It is now. Okay, continue. Two, Colossus of Rhodes. Big man over a big harbor. What's not to like? This is the shack of antiquities. Three, Great Pyramid of Giza. You might think this would be boring, but I'm picturing this as a set that opens out and reveals intricate details inside the pyramid. Passages, treasures, everything. Four, Lighthouse of (laughs) Alexandria. This could be really cool if you did the beacon well, but in general, pretty simple build five golden statue of zeus six mausoleum of halicarnassus halicarnassus um architecturally Nailed important it. historically speaking but effectively this is just a big cube pretty simple build number seven temple of artemis see above but even less interesting Could you have any thoughts ben
0: yeah, a couple of thoughts. First of all, he definitely underrated Zeus. This is actually one thing I've thought of. You've seen, well, you were saying how cool I am, but you've seen the Jesus pieces, right? You know, like the chains yeah. that have the really intricate Jesus pieces. I've actually considered making one of those out of Legos for myself and just sort of like wearing it around. I, I don't know if I have the uh, swag to pull that off in public, but... Like having a golden statue of Zeus, let's say it was six feet tall, and you're just like in the corner, almost like a vase, like, you know, to decorate as an interior decor item. Yeah. And it was all gold, very carefully textured with the different like shades of uh of bricks, I think that could be an incredible talking uh talking point, you know, uh, piece <laughs> of architecture for your interior design. Yeah. So I think he's underrated Zeus. But and also, you know, just because the Pyramid of Giza, I mean, that's just so iconic. I think his idea of having it open up, that one should be a little higher, too. But otherwise, good list. Well,
1: I'm excited to see how much nerdier our Lego emails can get as the season unfolds. I don't know if we can get much nerdier than this.
0: (laughs) Actually, I can, Andrew, because I got an email informing me that there is a Lego collector's convention that happens in Dayton, Ohio. And you know, I was mocking Ohio a couple of weeks ago, just so glad that we didn't have to go back there for the finals this year. Uh-huh. But now I'm probably gonna have to go to this convention. Don't you think, Andrew? I mean, if I don't go, who does Yeah, go? You know what I mean?
1: Get out there, put it on Instagram stories. You know what this email reminded me of more than anything is like two years ago when we were just starting out with this podcast. <laughs> okay. Do you oh remember you had just taken a trip to England, I believe, where you saw Stonehenge, oh, yeah. and then you came on the pod and for the first ten or fifteen minutes tried to explain to me that aliens were responsible for Stonehenge <laughs> and that I still don't know exactly what you were saying, but uh I remember thinking to myself, like, I have no idea what i got myself into but <laughs> let's see where it leads so there you go look that was
0: an all-timer i was influenced as you know by the witches there was real witches there at sunrise with me completing the experience That's right at it was, stonehenge it was
1: sunrise i forgot
0: it really got the uh, the the mental wheels turning but andrew our amazing listeners can continue to send questions to mail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com. They can also go to Apple Podcasts and give us uh, five-star ratings and positive reviews. We really appreciate those. Andrew, you've seen those emails, right, guys? Say, guess what? Ben was screaming at me about the reviews for two years, so I finally broke down and gave you guys five stars. Those really melt my heart. We finally connected (laughs) with the people, Andrew. I love the Open Floor Globe. Hey, Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you. All right, man, take it easy.
1: Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.